But he'd always tell me, he goes, but this nation isn't made up all just one church. And it's not only made up of one tribe. And it's not only made up of one group. He goes, this nation is so big. We have so many different villages. We have so many different churches. We have so many different political parties. That's what makes it interesting that make it one nation. When I think about activism and leadership, I often recall historical figures who always said the right things, but more importantly, did the right things with lots of integrity and tenacity. This also brings to mind a line from Martin Luther King Jr.'s Strength to Love, where he says the following, One of the great tragedies of life is that men seldom bridge the gulf between practice and profession, between doing and saying. A persistent schizophrenia leaves so many of us tragically divided against ourselves. On the one hand, we profoundly profess certain sublime and noble principles, but on the other hand, we sadly practice the very antithesis of these principles. How often are our lives characterized by a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds? Or to put it simply, I think MLK is saying, let's not just be talkers of the talk, but walkers of the walk. Hey everyone, it's Rhoda here, and I am so happy to be bringing you episode 75 of the Assyrian podcast. I had a chance to sit down with Asher Shamoon for this week's episode. Asher always reminds me that activism is, at its best, about moving things, shaking things, and just doing the damn thing. He is a really down-to-earth, positive, easy-to-talk-to kind of guy, and his heart is so full of passion for his people. We had a chance to discuss his upbringing, how he's been dealing with the loss of his dad, the great work of various Assyrian organizations around the world, and navigating the sometimes tumultuous terrains of leadership in Assyrian organizations or communities in general where there's a gap between the older and younger generations. I really appreciated Asher's perspective, and I think it will give so many of you a fresh way to look at your role in your community and how you can be impactful without fully burning bridges with the older generation that has ultimately paved the way for us. We also had a chance to talk about a drug awareness event that was hosted in Phoenix. And if you haven't listened to our episode with Dr. Asherina Reem, who happens to be Asher's sister, and Nicole Shamoon, we'll link that episode in the show notes. So definitely be sure to check it out. But first, support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Caligaracos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Caligaracos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847-982-9516. And now, here's Asher Shamoon. Sure. How's it going? Welcome to the Assyrian Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you guys. I would like to start with your parents' story. Talk about where your parents are from and how they ended up coming to the United States. My father was born in Surya. 
1945-ish, I mean, per their papers, 45, I would say, um, in a village called Tel Jum'ah, which is right next to, it's right off the Chabot River, right next to Tel Tamar. I'm sure Tel Tamar is one that everyone hears a lot of the, one of the villages out of Syria where a lot of Assyrians migrated to. My mother is from Iraq, from a city called Habania, where everyone, everyone hears about that as well. Sure They've got their own reunions and whatnot out here. And you hear the stories, obviously, about Habania, H-type, L-type. Those are all the buildings that they have. And, you know, it's pretty modernized because the British were there and settled there. So the way they met is through people that they knew. My father was in prison in Iraq. He was in prison because he was working with the movement, the Assyrian movement that they had going on, and they were helping people. This was in the late 70s. He was forging um, like passports and whatnot and visas and documentation for Assyrians to run away and get out of Iraq at that point because, you know, there was a lot of... The Ba'athi movement was very strong at that point. Saddam wasn't president, but he was behind the scenes still making a lot of movement and doing what they wanted to do. And it was either you're with the Ba'ath party or not. So they met while my dad was in prison. My mom was a principal in Habania. So obviously people and family and friends would, you know, be like, hey, can you take us to go see George? Get this message to George. Can you get this for him? She was a principal, so they were able. So that's how they met, and they kind of, I would say, their uh, love story began from there. And then when he got out, they actually went to Cyprus from Cyprus, you know, and on their way to America. So they left the country. They ran from the country. They came to Detroit, Michigan. It's where they resettled. Um, at that point, my mom had... She had a sister here, and my father's family who had come here, actually, I'm trying to think, no, actually, my father's family, some of them were in Chicago, but when they moved here, my dad, my parents, they liked Detroit, and it wasn't very congested and whatnot, so that was kind of like their story getting here, and in 81, boom, you have a boy, a son named <laughs> Asher Shumun. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it was very, my dad was, my dad's always been very involved, very like, Tanaya, very nationalistic. My mom as well, but I mean, obviously, she she's very nationalistic as well. But she's very, you know, she's a very church person as well. So it's it sounds of... like you had a good balance. Yeah, absolutely, say. absolutely. Why was that a thing that was beneficial, or was it beneficial? No, it was. Up? It was because it's a, it laid a great blueprint for me to, you know, hey, you're nationalistic, but you're also, you know. Your religious portion, your itanai, umtanai, and itanai, which gave me the balance to understand where each one, what part each one will play in your life. And aside from my parents and what they, you know, what they did and what they said and what they kind of imprinted in me and they, they taught and all the teachings and whatnot that they passed down, the church, I'll be honest with you, I mean, especially, you know, a certain church of the East is what I grew up in. I mean, granted, I was baptized in the Chaldean church here. In Detroit, we had one church at the time, only in Flint, Marshall uh, Basupaya. It's only 45 minutes away. However, my dad insisted to prove, because he's such a nationalist, you know, such an umtanai, he's like, I'm going to prove that, I'm going to baptize my son that, you know, in a nation as Assyrians, we have different churches. It doesn't matter to us. We're all Assyrians. So that was that. But for my mom, you know, when the church actually started coming here, I know we used to go to Flint when I was younger, but then... We noticed, I think the church noticed that, hey, we need, we need a kasha. 
we need we need to put our church here. We need a maraita in Detroit. And then that's when they started. They would rent out, you know, halls and do mass at that point. But it was good because that, you know, as I grew up in church with my mom and watched my dad and how nationalistic they were, it laid a great blueprint for me. He, especially in Detroit, church was home base. It was headquarters. That's how we viewed it. So if you were a Syrian, granted, it didn't mean that you're not an Assyrian. But if you're like, I'm an Assyrian, usually we're, we're going to find you at church. Hey, this is what it is. So it was great because, you know, you learned a lot from church. You built a lot of relationships from church that you found individuals that had the same interests and the same untanayuto as you did. And their parents also were intertwined. And they knew your parents. Mm-hmm. So I think it was very important. It sounds like your dad is the person who taught you the most about how to be patriotic mm-hmm. and how to love your nation and how to serve your nation. Absolutely. What's the first memory you have that you feel like solidified for you your identity as an Assyrian? Like, if you think back to your childhood, when is the time when you're like, oh, I'm Assyrian and this is what that means? I mean, my memories growing up, my dad would always look, obviously, as we were little, would always, you know, do like flex the arm like Assyrian power and all these things. And, and, I would, you know, I would see them, I would see pictures, I would see memories and whatnot, but then we would have discussions as we get over. My dad would, you know, as he would tell me stories of what what Assyrians have gone through, what we go through, the intricacies of everything. And one story that stood out to me vividly was um, he would, you know, he would break down, you know, during his time, what they went through. He told me one time, he's like, Bruni, you know, this nation isn't made up of one thing that you see. He goes, I love, you know, he wasn't very religious, but he'd always tell me, he goes, but this nation isn't made up of all, just one church. And it's not only made up of one tribe. And it's not only made up of one group. He goes, this nation is so big. We have so many different villages. We have so many different churches. We have so many different political parties. That's what makes it interesting that make it one nation. And at that point, that's kind of piqued my interest. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Why? You know, how? And we'd always ask questions. So, I mean, till the day, you know, he passed away, that's all we did. Like, that was our conversation. Me and him had that bond, that relationship. Like, you know, and I'd always go to him. What about this? What about that? And obviously, there was times where I knew that it was a lot of, some things were old school mentality from him. And then there was a lot of things that I learned from him. Who was who and what was what and watch out and what to do and what not to do, what to say and how to approach things. Even though his approach was very headstrong, like, no, no, you know what, always be very aggressive. We should, we should use that. But that also taught me not to be so aggressive with so many things as well. So even when he was, I would say his mistakes, I learned from his mistakes to understand. That's interesting because I think sometimes when we're very close to someone, it's hard to have that objective lens. Mm -hmm. And so when we have a figure in our life that we value their experience and their their advice, then we want to be like them in some ways. It's hard to look at it, look at that person and think, okay, I love this person. I love everything they stand for, but that's a thing I'm going to do differently. Absolutely. I mean, there was a lot of my dad. I mean, my dad was a, my dad was, as an umtanaya, he didn't like the hearsay. And when I say that the hearsay, like 
that is how you prove what you heard was correct. Like, oh, Shmidi, or this person said this. He didn't like that. Is that what that person said, or is that what's being done? Show it to me in black and white. Show it to me where you read that or where you did see that. Like, give me the proof. I need I need to see the proof of behind, backing of whatever your statement is. Mm-hmm. So his approach would always be that way. But the tone is one of those like, hey, where is it? Oh, you don't have it? Okay, so kind of like talking down to you. And I used to always tell him, like, that's not going to work. The, the regular individual that you may think or you feel like he doesn't know nothing. He's not a parmiana. Maybe in that tone, if you speak to someone like that, even if they don't, you know, even if they don't get it, maybe their information is hearsay. It's going through so many different channels to get to them. You can't talk to them that way because they'll still, they're not going to be receptive of whatever you say. They're going to be like, no, you're trying to make me look stupid. You're trying to make me look very idiotic in front of all these people. You're not going to get away with it. So I used to tell him it doesn't work, but he's just... But from my understanding, in his time, in his period when he was involved, because he started in the 60s in Lebanon, in the 70s, you know, doing work. He was part of the Syrian Universal Alliance. And it's one... Of, at that point, there was it was like the, the height, the, the heyday of that organization. And it was, a, you know... Throughout the world, they were very, very strong. And, you know, I think at that point, there was only a few groups. You know, I believe there was like Zaw al-Khurara, which is not Zaw'a today. It's a different one. It's called Zaw al-Khurara. Um, and then you had Gebit but Nahran back then. And then you had AUA. Obviously, Assyrian Universal Alliance was one of the stronger ones with so many tentacles and so many branches. But that's how they operated. And I'll hear stories. You know, my mom would tell me stories. You know, you know, as a mother, she's like, a like, oh my God, he did this. And oh my God, he did that. And then he did this to this person. And he yelled and he swore and then he hit. But there was a lot of other guys. Till this day, they'll come up to me. They know my dad, you know, during his heyday. Because I was young. You know, they would tell me stories. Like we'd go to these uh, Syrian American Social Club parties. And my dad was the president at the point. And I would, you know, they had this routine or this tradition that when the umta song to open the event you know with these events you know tradition or routine for them is when the umta song would be played so because back then every assyrian party when you're a nationalist or you're in the organizations you open up with a chasmerta umtaneta right they all would put their fists in the air similar to what we see you know as far as like the african-americans would do and whatnot that's how they would start. And they would tell me, like, me as a little two-year-old, I would do the same thing with them, along with them. We would see him, I'd be standing on the on the chair. And I come to find out that a lot of my other buddies, like my buddy Aturaya, their dad was in AUA during the same time. They were like, man, we did the same exact thing. <laughs> Dude, are these guys come from the same school? <laughs> this is the same school. So... I mean, into that, like a lot of those guys would tell me, like my dad ran the organization with an iron fist. Like you have a time. We have five minutes on this topic. Get what you have to say in this five. If it's not done in five minutes, we're done. You got out of pocket. You need to leave the. You need. You leave the meeting. You have a five minute timeout. You. You know. And there was times where where my dad. I mean, today and essentially, it's like an assault. Like he'd slap somebody, hit somebody. No, you're staying. Like, but I see it, it's wrong, but he was trying to keep everybody in line. Don't go out of this line. We need to, this is our focus, this is the way, this is our direction. So, I mean, those type of things I didn't take away from that. But like, yes, that's what I'm going to be doing as I'm getting involved. But I, I, I feel like that, that kind of showed me like, hey, you know, that's how, that's how much love he had for this nation and how much work and he, he believed in it. And one thing I'm grateful for him, because as every parent, they, they may go in or they get involved in organizations 
They're going to try to veer you away. Like, no, no, no. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, because you're going to... My dad would tell me, like, Bruni, it's going to happen. Like, you know, I want you to do it. So you learn. Don't take my word for it. Because don't ever take my word for it. He goes, I want you to go in, experience it, and then me and you come back and we talk about it. Mm. So I think those were, those were important keys to a lot of what we did. Um, I once Googled the whole, like, fist... Um in the air thing uh, not to be confused with fist pumping not fist pumping <laughs> <laughs> but um apparently it actually does come from ancient uh mesopotamia and ancient Assyria. nice yes so, so it does have that tie cool. yeah i know you've been talking about your dad yeah absolutely and he passed last year is that right october 5th of 2018 yes he did what has that been like for you um it's hard because you know, you have someone, I would say that the hardest part about it is when you know who your dad was and how headstrong that person is and just to watch as he gets old. I mean, we're, we've had this conversation, me and a lot of my buddies, we understand that there's a time, you know, that we all have a, I don't want to call it, but like an expiration date, mm-hmm. essentially, right? We don't want to come to terms with it like our parents are going to pass, you know, um, you know, mm-hmm. parents, but we understand life in reality. So with that, you know, I was, I was, you know, we were somewhat prepared, but when it happened, it's just been tough because he was always the guy that I went to, to talk about. And he would, he actually, the tables had turned. So when I was young, I went to him and asked him about this individual. What do you know? Like, you know, he gave me background. This is essentially a background check. What did this person do? Who did they, who were they aligned with? Who are their allies? This that when you were coming, when you were doing your work as an Omtanaya. But then the tables turned, and then he started asking me, "What's the latest news? What about this political party? What about this organization? Especially me being in the Federation, the Syrian American National Federation. He would always ask me, "Well, what's going on within the Federation?" You know, he would share his stories and his battles during their time with the Federation when he was involved in the Federation and Huyada. Uh, and then, you know, I would share mine. But he was always there. Like, he always supported me. You know, and not having that anymore, it's hard. It's very hard, you know, because he was there. Like, he was essentially, like, granted, today he's, like, he's my guardian angel. But even when he was here... He was like my protector there. Just in case, like just in case any of the old guys would maybe get out of pocket or want to be aggressive, which I handled my own, which was, I'll share an interesting story with that. But he was always, always wanted to make sure that they all knew he has a father, he has a mother, and who his father is. So it's like, kind of like, don't mess with my son. I'm here. So not having that, it hurts, but what he instilled stays. So that's important. And to that, I mean, I remember a story when um, Rabbi Sanchorosho, it would, I'll, I'll share the story. He was a great friend of my father's. Chicago guys, they were, they were the Chicago AUA. My dad was the Detroit AUA friends. And he's in the, well, he's with, he was with, he's with Social Club and he'd come to the Federation meetings on behalf as a delegate. We'd get into arguments, nothing like personal, just arguments within the meeting, you know, go back and forth, me and him. 
this, that, and the other. And then he'd watch how I would carry myself and rebuttal and go against. So I remember walking out of a meeting and I see my dad and Abhi Sankho. They're, they're speaking. And my dad comes and goes, hi, Bruni. And Abhi Sankho, you know, kind of just looks back in, in shock. I'm like, oh, Bruno, Chile. My dad, hey, he's like, he's like, hey, Bruni. You know, you know how Syrians do that. Yeah. Like, yeah, you think it's a joke? Like, there's not a camera here, my friend. It's not a hidden camera. He's like, this whole time I've been in these meetings, argue, me and this guy argue. We just walked out of this meeting to argue. And this, you're telling me this is your son? He goes, yeah. And he and Rabbi Sancho hugged and kissed me. He goes, man, I can't believe I'm so happy and proud to see that you're, you're here. Like, now I see your father. Who you're, Like, your father's in you. You are your father. <laughs> But, I mean, again, mine was scaled back much sure. <laughs> much more than my father. But they got that respect. And, you know, not having my dad around. I mean, I know he'll be around, you know, spiritually he'll be around. But everything that he's taught me is extremely important. Uh, I remember when I took the vice presidency of the Federation a couple years back, three years ago. Um, I thanked my dad. Um, he was in the back room. And he stood up. And when I thanked them immediately, you know, it's like, you know, I opened, my opening remarks were like, you know, what you guys see today, the Um Tanaya that you see in front of you, the, the, the young Assyrian here that, you, that stands tall, is all due to the man in the back, my father. You know, he stood up and he, like, he bowed his head. Like, I'm a Kip Tadisha, like, you're my trophy. You, you are me. Like, you carry on that torch. So, without him, it's hard. But I'm here to carry on that torch. That's just how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of your various roles within the Federation, and I know you've done a lot of other things too, mm-hmm. um, can you talk about what your current role is? And we can talk about other organizations and things you've done. No, absolutely. I currently stand as the Western Region Director of the Syrian American National Federation. So the role is basically the Western orgs, the organizations. They kind of check in with me. I check in with them. Um, you know, I meet with them. I speak to them. I keep communications. If there's any issues within the region, the Western region, and so you guys know, the Western region is made up of Nevada, Arizona, and all of California. And that doesn't mean the other states can't have organizations and join and be part of the region. It's just currently what we have. You know, and I, I, my understanding is, excuse me, Texas has some groups that may be interested, and there's a few other states. But me currently, that's that's what I oversee, and they, you know. They reach out, we speak. Um, if there's issues, I, I get on a conference call with them. We would try to iron them out. And it's basically like a chain of command. They kind of funnel you know, through me if there's an issue. If there's an issue I can't really take care of or I can't get resolved, then we obviously we get the president and the vice president involved with that. How many regions are there currently in the United Three. States? Three. Okay. So the way it's broken down, the, the Syrian American National Federation, or we call it AANF, or the Federation for short, Eastern region. So obviously the eastern regions, all the eastern groups, you know, Connecticut, Boston, New York, used to be Philly. Well, that's where the Federation originally started was in, a lot of people don't know that, but it's Philadelphia. And I believe we used to have New Jersey as well. Then, then what happened was because of the lack, or I should say the communities were migrating and they were leaving the east, you know, like anyone, they want to go where there's better, better weather, better mm-hmm. job opportunities. So they had encompassed Detroit, the Michigan group as well in the east, but there's no longer a Michigan organization under the Federation. Then you get the Midwest region is essentially all of Chicago because that's, you know, that's like the 
headquarters motherland yeah. outside of uh, Bitnahren is Chicago, the most Assyrians. Um, so Chicago itself was the Midwest region. In the West, you have California, Arizona, and Nevada. Okay. That's the breakdown. And before that, you served as the vice president? Yeah. I was the vice president for two years of the Federation um, under uh, President Martin Umano, which I think you guys have interviewed yeah, him on the podcast. He was our second or third guest very early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. President Martin Umano, um, I was me and him worked side by side um, for the first two years. Uh, I just, you know, the vice presidency role, it doesn't demand very, very much within the Federation. Not that it doesn't mean it's not important. It just doesn't, there's not a high demand. And I'm very, I'm very, I don't want to say hands-on, but I like to interact. I like to, you know, work. I need, I need stuff to do. You know, I don't like to, I don't like to be sitting there idle. So that's just not me. So when I, you know, and I, and I told them, I go, I wouldn't run for another term, um, and I'm recommended and suggested uh, who's the current vice president, Alan Mushak, to be the, you know, I go, he'd be great. He's, you know, he's an attorney and maybe, maybe you can utilize him a little more. Obviously, since him being an attorney and there's a lot of things, legal legality, things that the Federation would need that can go through him as a vice president first. And then they suggested that I like, you know, since you, you do well, you communicate well, you have great relationships and you're, you're very understanding and able to work with a lot of groups. We think you'd be the best candidate to be the Western Region Director. And then, you know, I took it on with, you know, with all, you know, kul iqara, as we say as, as Assyrians. So that was important, you know, for to work with the Western groups. Luckily, we don't really have many issues, you know, and if they do, they all call me, you know, if they need anything. Are there any local organizations in Arizona that you have been involved with? Before your work with the Federation? There was, yeah, I mean, I've always been, I was always with the, the church, Church of the East. Um, I was helping with the youth group at some point, just kind of chaperoning. I mean, I'm not going to be like I was the Bible study master. No, I'm not. But I was able to help with like that, um, you know, chaperoning, watching over. Then I, then I was in the church committee at St. Peter's for a couple of years until our term was finished. Um, I was part of Assyrian Preservation Society. What's that? So Assyrian Preservation Society was a group of guys work. We worked together. Just you know, we had ideas of you know way we can preserve the nation. We hosted a couple of Martyr Days, you know, the Assyrian Martyrs Day events, which were very successful because it was just different groups, different guys from different places to work together. I remember we started. We tried to jumpstart an athletic club. It didn't work out very well. I didn't say it didn't work out very well. It just didn't last too long. I think maybe the individuals that were involved were interested, and then they just kind of lost interest. And a lot of the ones that were involved were not very young. You know, you, you some. I don't want to say that you don't need an older generation, but the individuals involved, I think they were just like, ah, we, you know, we don't have time for that. So, but with that, I mean, I still maintained running, you know, a lot of leagues and things like that that I normally do. But those were the organizations that I was part of before. Well, the organization that I'm a part of now, the Assyrian American Culture Organization, which is a member of the Federation, prior to that was not a member of the Federation. Okay. Speaking of preservation, I feel like a running theme that we've had on the podcast with several interviews has been the role of Assyrians today mm -hmm. in the preservation of the culture versus the progression mm -hmm. of the culture. We've talked about this with artists. We have talked about it with um, 
people involved in politics and people involved in running organizations and businesses. And it's always a very interesting theme to me because in some ways I feel like both are necessary. Mm -hmm. But I wonder what your take is on that. I wonder what you think our focus has been as Assyrians in America, let's say, because that's what, you know, that's where you've been. Mm -hmm. That's what you're familiar with. And what, where do you think we should go with that? That's a great question. So I think, I mean, preservation is extremely important. And today what I have noticed is there's a lot of different outlets or different avenues of Syrians, especially ones that have grown up here or born here, are taking to preserve, which is great, which is amazing. Like I've seen so many different things, so many different groups, like art groups coming out. I see like uh, advisor groups coming out. You know, a lot of the like the attorneys at law is coming together. Assyrian Kitchen is a great setup. Like that's great, like what they do. Um, and these are different ways. These are different approaches to keep that preservation alive but also keep it interesting one i think the biggest disconnect or gap that we had is most assyrians here that came from back home wherever they decide to come from whether it's uh, iraq Syria, iran lebanon jordan wherever they had to be the goal when they first came here was always help out atra we got to fight against the opposition back home do the yes back home what are we going to back home? You know, and Assyrians love that. I mean, the buzzword, back home. We all are ready. You know, we are the most generous and quick to donate for any good cause. And we'll do it. But we forgot to set up who we were here. We forgot to place uh, a system, a our footprint here in, in this land called America, which is a great land with a lot of opportunities. And we should have looked outside the box to different cultures and groups and what they did and what made them so successful because when you do that and you're strong and you have buildings and you have communities and then you have areas that are predominantly Assyrian you have uh, a congressman an alderman a mayor or something at this point I would say now we got to come to this point then you can get a lot of things done your voice will be heard you're you're pushed to hey we need votes not political party votes, not Assyrian Federation votes. We need votes in America to help us out for the, you know, whatever politicians, your local chair, congressman, your local councilman, and those things. Because those things don't matter. Those things affect you day to day. I think we didn't focus on that very strong. You know, we didn't put too much efforts on that. We just looked at it as like, yeah, oh, I'm married. We need to invite them to come. And then we just grease them, talk to them. Yeah, you know, how you doing? Feed them. And then when I tell him, I need you to push for me in D.C., he's like, I'm just the mayor. Like, I can't get you nowhere. So we didn't understand how to do that, I think, back then, which is which is something that we have. We had to take accountability on that, like as Assyrians. Like we didn't do a good we but we we did focus a lot on preservation. No, don't forget our traditions, our cultural folklore, clothes, dances, arts, food. Um, food, exactly. Food we love. We love food. <laughs> Everything with carbs, we love. You know, we're the only people that I we put like rice in bread and eat it. Like <laughs> we don't right. care. But we did all those things in that preservation, but we forgot about a bigger picture, you know. And those things are all important. Don't get me wrong, they all play great important role in, 
and preserving our traditions but we should have been understanding a bigger role but to, to now where we're at i am seeing that a lot like i'm seeing a lot of groups come out a lot of organizations come out making that progression i mean i think one of the biggest biggest vehicles i'm, I'm seeing now i'm noticing is a lot of young people are getting involved in organizations and making a lot of headway and they're you know they're 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 taking the train and like hey we're going to bust through this and we're going to make it happen we're going to fix this and i think another group i see that is kind of doing what they have to do is vote a syrian in chicago i mean they do a great job granted uh those two guys and their team uh billy haydu who i, I believe you guys interviewed as well asher she was another individual that's on there uh i know now we have a uh, trusty Ator sergon so these are these are all important things i'm not you know it's never too late but I think that now we noticed, like, everything I mentioned, we noticed, like, hey, we're lacking in these buckets. We're lacking in these areas. We need to fix that, and we need to fix that ASAP. And I, I feel like we're, re we're getting to that point where we realize this is what it is. So that we are making that progression. And I just say it's unfortunately we're, it's now where it should have been about, like, 20 years ago. But you know what? It's never too late. Uh, I think we're, do we're doing well in that, in that regard, I should say. When you think about the various organizations that you've been a part of, but also other organizations whose work you've seen, mm. what are some Assyrian organizations that you can think of that you think are doing good work um, in terms of getting young people involved and um, working on educating people, but also like putting on events and doing mm -hmm. things like that? What are some organizations that we have that you think are a good example you know there's there's a such a strong movement going on with a lot of the young people which i you know i applaud um one of the groups that i that i've noticed that and not to be biased i mean they're in the federation mm -hmm. but the, the Syrian american association of southern california does a great job on hosting a lot of events and you know shout outs to those guys with president dot um president raymond tosh and we've had him on the podcast too oh that's right see <laughs> Uh, John Goriel and a lot of their team they ha actually have a very strong team they do a lot of great things and what I noticed with them and getting young people involved I gotta you know I gotta tip my hat off to a lot of the student associations that are working I I've noticed them in um, you know obviously the Arizona one the ones in California um, the ones in Chicago and what we see and we notice from them those things they're very important they're doing a great job of capturing the youth and working with them and kind of showing them a lot of those things uh it's important um i like you know i'm i'm a big fan of seeing a lot of like for example the art assyrian art institute what they're trying to do which is great i don't know if there's a lot of young people involved i don't know behind it could there could be i just don't know you know on the art aspect and what they're trying to do with with art it's very hard to intrigue a young mind and keep them engaged in what we do. And it's very hard to make them understand the intricacies and the, and the dynamics of an Assyrian nation and all the young people, how you have to work and coincide with an older generation with a different mentality. One thing, and I'm going to suggest this, and I hope whoever hears this, one thing I want to tell you guys a bit of advice is don't, don't you shouldn't give up and your plan shouldn't be short term like once i go in i'm gonna make the change immediately it's gonna happen and everything's gonna work out this is not how this works the older generation has been around for a, a while they've made a lot of mistakes which i'm sure will make a lot of mistakes as well 
However, they provide a lot of things that we probably won't be able to do or understand. And they've gone through some trials and tribulations that they've that we'll never probably endure in our lifetime. But their experiences and what they provide, what they can bring to the table can be extremely important if you utilize it correctly. All they want in this nation is for them, one, not to be forgotten for what they've done and to be part of it. If you include them, you keep them inclusive, you know, they'll let you run the torch. They will. Just you have to hear them out and understand what they do. Sometimes you may you may be like, and I know this, I used to be the same person, like, oh, literally, Donna, I have no time to be sitting here and listen to this, this guy with the gray hairs and all this, that, and the other. You know what? If you really love this nation, you're all about it. You're all about us preserving Assyrian. Make the time to listen. And you can speak to them. Let them know that, you know, this is what I am. Eventually, they're going to listen to you. They're going to hear you out. One thing my dad told me when I, before I entered the Federation, he told me, you know, and this was during the time that I was working to run as president of the Federation. He said, Bruni, I have a Federation so the change he said won't happen in one to two years the change you may you want may happen in five to ten years you just got to be patient how it be nana and understand in in accepting and this is coming from a man that wasn't very accepting of a lot of things i mean he was <laughs> was very headstrong like no it's my way or the highway but he knew what it took he just didn't ha- he didn't have the patience for it so I think I, what I've noticed in a lot of young and and I applaud all the young organizations. I applaud the church youth groups. That was a blueprint for me. They do a great job. I noticed them, you know, reaching out to the young kids. I noticed them trying to do different programs or different events to gear toward the young to get them to come back because we're in a melting pot where we can lose. You know, I can't as an Assyrian. I can't afford to lose any more Assyrians to anything outside of the nation. I'm not talking about marrying outside. I'm talking about just anything for you to get lost and be like, I don't care. I don't even want to be called Assyrian anymore. I want to change my name to something else. So me as an Assyrian, as a young Assyrian, I can't afford to lose you. Whether you're old or you're young or you're an infant, whatever it is, I can't afford to lose you because this nation has suffered so much and so small. What do you think is the best way for young Assyrians to apply their experiences and talents um, back into the Assyrian nation, what what do you think is the best way for them to get involved? You know, reach out. Find find a group that you could probably align yourself with. There's a lot of them. Um, and they're all growing. Like, there's all kinds in Chicago and, and here out in Michigan, the Detroit metropolitan area, in the East Coast, all up and down California. Find, I mean, there's there's groups. There's student associations. Excuse me, there's youth groups. There's regular, normal organization. I don't want to call it normal social and cultural organizations. I should say, um, find your niche, what you want to do, and another thing is, don't come go to an organization like I have this idea and expect to just have that group do it. Take the lead, present your idea. I'm, I'm, always, I've always been like that. You can ask a lot of, in, in a lot of people in Arizona as well as here. You have a great idea. Let's do it. I'll let you. You steer that ship. You know what? And I'll be, even if I'm the president, even if I'm the leader of the group or whatever, you'll see me behind you steering with you and paddling to get that that event, that idea across. I'm there. I've never been one to be like, I'm a leader to, uh, you know, you're going to listen to me 
and how I what I say goes. Like I'm not that type of leader. I'm the type of leader like, oh, you want to do that? Let's do that. All right, I'm gonna stand behind you. I'm gonna stand behind you the whole way. So, and I think a lot of young people have to be ready to be like, okay, I have this great idea. Let me, um, let me. What do you think about this initiative? Hey, man, do it. Let's go. I'm with you. Find the groups. There's plenty of groups out there. And if you don't, ask. You know what? You can ask me. You can reach out to me on Facebook. It's Asher Bishuman, and I'll and I'll help you find something. I'll I'll link you up with somebody. I'll do. We'll do what we can. But just don't veer off. Don't lose hope. Find a group and bring what you can to the table. You know what I mean? And that's just the way it is. What do you think frustrates young Assyrians who might think they have ideas and they think they might have? better ways of doing things Mm -hmm. um and they don't feel heard um what do you think frustrates them the most about the way current organizations may be running i think the frustration with the young is being viewed as an equal peer don't do not view me as i'm youth Mm. right even though you could be youth, Mm -hmm. right to listen i'm in the federation i'm 38 years old they still, they still view me as youth until I say something. I'm like, don't call me youth. I'm just a younger generation because I'm, 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 not, I'm no longer part of youth. And there's nothing wrong with being youth. But everything has its time frame, its time period, right? You gradually move forward. And I, I've noticed a lot of young want to be viewed equally. Don't view me as a young individual that you can try to control or always tell me what to do but also like i said also the young generation have to be very accepting of them too you know what the best thing to do i would say is to have that conversation with them sit down like listen i'm willing to work but i want you to respect me as an equal i may be younger than you but respect me as an equal and then and advice for the older generation do the same respect them and I think what happens is a lot of times the younger groups will come in or the younger generations will come in and, you know, they're motivated, they're driven, they have different ideas, they want to do it, which are great. But put the action plan together and present it to them. Maybe the first time they, you'll get them to agree to 50% of it. Then the next time it's going to be 60. Then eventually what you're going to notice, the older guys are going to be like, listen, man, Rhoda has stepped up to the table. Take the lead. We'll support you. Just make sure. All you got, At the end of the day, a lot of times, these older guys, all they want to do is they want to be included. Let me know what's going on. And mind you, that's still a learning process for me. You know, I still run into that issue where you get with a good group of people. They're young. They're motivated. They're driven. We start working, bouncing around ideas. We're doing this. Yes, 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 yes. And you forget, like, man, I still have to tell these guys because if I don't, and it becomes a bigger ordeal. Make them feel incorporated. Make them feel encompassed in what you're doing. Then we'll see that change. But again, it's a two-way street. You're going to run into those frustrations. Have that conversation. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest issue is that they don't, they're not viewed as peers. When you think about all the different events that you've helped put together. There's a lot of those. <laughs> a lot. I have heard about some of them. Mm-hmm. Which one would you say was the most successful? And how do you measure that success? You know, there was... Not just, uh, I don't want to sound like very conceited. There was a lot of successful ones. I would say two that stand out to me the most, because uh, there's two of them. All my athletic tournaments and leagues were successful because the, the, the 
ideology or the notion behind them wasn't for sports. Like, oh, I want to go have a good time. I love basketball. No, the whole mindset behind that was how do I get young Assyrians to meet and grow? That's important. You know what? Sports. So we did a lot of sports tournaments, a lot of leagues, basketball, volleyball leagues. It's funny because a lot of guys would come to me, a lot of gals would come to me afterwards, be like, Ash, we appreciate you, which for me is like it's second nature. Oh, sure, no problem, what, because I put a league together? They're like, no, because you know what your league did? I made all these friends. Like, I hang out with these guys and girls on the weekends, which was important. So for me, that's, that's, that's very important. And the tournaments were great because the tournaments helped you meet new friends out of state. You know, in that in that aspect, Thing, I'm, things that I was like intimately involved, those type of things. And one of the most recent events that was that's important to me was the drug awareness. I think the the Assyrian nation, I mean America as a whole, the world, we have a opioid epidemic. Assyrians, like I was mentioning before, I can't afford to lose any more Assyrians. And the epidemic of we're seeing a drug, drug abuse is growing. You know, every day or every week we're hearing of new, someone else is overdosing or someone else is hooked on pills. And I think that was something, I felt like that was a breakthrough that we, we, have, to, we have to knock down that wall. Because it's so taboo to talk about that with Assyrians and Assyrian households. There's a lot of things that are taboo. But we have to learn to knock down that wall and talk about it, address it immediately. You know what? If you're a parent and your son or daughter is on drugs, and you know what? Start finding ways. To f- you know, I'm not going to have all the answers. I don't. I really don't. I'm going to try to help you get those answers. And that's how we went about the drug awareness panel that we created. It had like um, 400 people there. You know, it was um, unfortunately. I would say it was also amplified that it happened during a time where we lost a young Assyrian, Nicholas Kiliana Alamanakhle. He he was supposed to come to that panel. His sister was on the panel. She was going to discuss, and she still did it, which, you know, hats off to her, to Nikki and the family, the how a family is affected. Well, the night before he OD'd. And but what that did was in in that tragic moment, in that, you know, in his death, he was able to bring and shed light through his death. He was able to shed light that this is not a route that you want to go. This is not the path you need to be. And I think that's one of the most important. That's one of the important events that I was able and I, I was able to be a part of. I say that because, yes, I may have took the first initiative, but without the, the people that were involved, Without the Syrian American Culture Organization individuals that were help promoting and behind the scenes, like listen, at the end of the day, you can't do everything on your own. That organization, my organization, that that stands behind a lot of things that we do, behind the scenes, doing this, doing that. Um, you know, the church, St. Peter's, given us their hall um, and given us ability to do that, as well as the individuals that were on the panel, we're having conference calls, all of them. They did a great job. I literally, you know, started the first conference conference call. Said, "I don't know how to do this. All what I'm use me for my networking capabilities. You guys know how to do this. What should we talk about? How do we go through this?" So I think that was extremely important. 
those two, I would say those two pieces through the sports and that drug drug panel awareness panel was probably have been some of the more important things. Granted, I you know I was part of a lot of youth conventions. Well, now they're called conferences in my heydays, but those also were important because that falls into the category of building relationships, which is important to me. I happened to catch uh, the drug awareness panel on Facebook, yeah. and it was super impactful. And um, I was really glad to see other places hosting similar panels. Which so. was amazing. Yeah. Just that, that made, made us all feel good. Mm-hmm. Seeing like literally other groups pop up, other organizations like we have to do this, other cities. Hats off to every city that did one, whether you had 400 or you had 40 people at your event. You did something, something important, something that we need to address as a community. And anyone that reached out to me, any one of the groups, organizations, or cities that reached out, I told them, I will email you my what we did, our agenda, and how we did it. Take it, run, make it better than what we did. That's the game plan. You take what we did. We were the guinea pigs because we'd never done this before. Take it, run with it, make it better. Make us proud. Like, yes, we look what happened. And they did it better than us. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what we want. The reason why I asked about successful events is because I think that when you are when you're able to articulate why certain events or certain things that you did were successful, you are more likely to be able to replicate them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can account for what was successful about that, you can you can do it again. So what do you think when you think about those types of events? What are some of the concrete things that you did or you had in mind or your groups had in mind that you believe led to the success of those events? You know, I would say communication and just at working as a team. You know, surrounding yourself with good teams. I think those are those are two concrete things that help you move forward with a lot of things. When I was doing the the sports tournaments, we had, you know, we started that off here in Detroit with St. Mary's Assyrian Church. You know, I had a great team and they believed in it, right? They're like, yes, that'll be great. We can do that. So with that such a great team and delegation, like you guys do that, that's your job, no problem. You don't have to really report to me. Thank you. But when people believe in something like, yeah, that's very important and you get them on board. And I think that all attributes to you have to be good. You have to be able to lead people. They have to believe in you that you can do it and you, you show them that. So when you can do that and you don't lead in the form of you, my way or the highway, you listen to what I say. No, that's not going to work. You know, you're going to get more, um, you know, someone's going to be more aggressive, maybe a little abrasive with you and you don't want that. So you, you give them the idea. You say, what can we do to improve? I need you to give, give me your input. When someone feels that, that they're included, then they're like, okay. I think that that's, the, you know, communicating, talking. You know, nowadays, I mean, we're a day and age of communication, emails, text messages, everything, Snapchat. You can Instagram me your message, whatever it is. I think those things really lay a good, solid foundation. You, you put those all together, you know, a strong team, leadership, and communication. Those things are extremely important that have always led to things being successful because once you start 
with one thing or two things and people would notice, hey, you know, Rhoda did a great job here. She was able to lead with this. The next time around when you start doing other events, you'll, you'll notice that you get more people around you, more people willing to work, more people want to be incorporated and be part of that. So then that builds that foundation. Okay, and just keep using what you're using, your leadership, your communication skills and whatnot and, and you know, with a stronger team. And I think those things are very important. When you talk about leadership, the thing that immediately comes to my mind, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's this picture mm -hmm. um, that says like, not a leader and leader. The one where he's like then, whipping that's and then right. it's not the leader. That's the one right. pushing them behind him. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. That's the thing that I think about um, when you it's talk about true. leadership because a good leader is there with the team doing the work rather than just like telling people what to Absolutely. do. When you think about the work that you've done so far and the work that you intend to do mm -hmm. for the rest of your life, I imagine <laughs> just knowing you um, for the Assyrian nation, um, what is one thing that, what is the, the footprint you want to leave behind? And, and in that same vein, what legacy would you want to leave behind? I mean, the footprint I, wanna, I would love to leave behind is that you can be born outside of our country, but outside of Atur, outside of Bitnara, and still have love for your nation. And you can do, you, you can see that and be like, I can, you can, you can preserve any which way you, any which way, shape or form, like anything you can preserve in your own lane, whether, whatever we'll say, it's writing books, it's you know, designing clothes, it's art, you know, and I noticed uh, the group out in uh, California, I forget what they're called, something bloom, diaspora and bloom, that's amazing, the avenue they took with art, it's not your typical Assyrian art, see what I'm saying, so for people to see as far as like my footprints, it'd be like, you can do it, you can do it in your lane, it's perfectly fine, you can be born here, you know, I'm fortunate enough, I was born here, I'm, you know, I'm, I know Assyrian, I spoke Assyrian, like, use me as, hey, you know what, that, that guy did it, you know, I think I can. My legacy, as far as, as my legacy, I just want people to, to remember, but like, Asher Shuman was, was an individual, a Syrian-American that was born here, and every, pretty much almost every moment of his time, as he knew it, you know, was just working to make things better for who, for, a, for the future of Assyrians, you know, our future, the young... I was I love being my legacy being that I was one of the guys to knock down that wall that barrier and the gap between the older generation and the young generation. Use me who I am. I mean, I'm getting to a point where I'm getting old, so I might be the guy that they kick out of meetings soon. <laughs> but use my yeah, my legacy being that Asher Shimon was the driving force behind knocking down that wall that that gap between Assyrians from, you know, the older generation to the Assyrians and the young. And with that, you know, you're able to work together, understand, and respect each other as peers. And I think that that would be probably the best legacy I could give. Last question. But, we always ask everyone, if you could say one thing to all the Assyrians listening, what would it be? The one thing. I mean, never give up hope. As long as you're alive, you keep alive. As long as you're breathing, that's... That's the best thing. Just remember, we may not have a country with borders, but as long as you breathe, the air you breathe, you are Om Ta Toreta. Thank you, Asher. You're welcome. Thank you, guys.
Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, help us out by sharing it out in whatever way works for you on your social media, in a link to your big family and friends group text with a pigeon or owl. We appreciate whatever floats your boat. That's all for this week. See you next Tuesday.